Awesome. That is a hectic scene in The Dark Knight, eh? I reckon it's an awesome one for showing how good of an actor Heath Ledger is as well. But yeah, the Joker just did something horrifying there. He just blew up an entire hospital, which is pretty terrifying. If he didn't kill anyone, then anyone who got out of there probably was destined to death anyway because they needed to be transferred to another hospital. It's just crazy. And yet his reaction? Walking away so casually, doesn't even look back. What causes someone to react like that? How can he so easily just ignore what's just happened? Your reaction to things can show a lot about you. And it shows, for the Joker, it shows that he's a pretty sick and twisted dude. We've come to the end of Mark's gospel, and it's all about reactions. Some crazy stuff has happened as we've been tracking our way through the book of Mark. But when we get to this passage, it ends really oddly and abruptly. It doesn't really make sense, eh? Imagine seeing that scene of the dark night without having seen anything else of it. That's the first scene you've ever seen of the whole movie. You'd be pretty confused, eh? Why the heck is this guy with face paint and green hair blowing and dressed like a nurse blowing up a hospital? You need to go back over and see the first hour and a half of the movie or so to understand what's happening up until that point. That's exactly what we're going to try and do with Mark tonight because we've got this really odd, seemingly weird ending. But I reckon if we go through and look at... Hold on. I'm standing the opposite way to you guys. If we go back and look at the rest of the book of Mark, it'll help us understand what the ending is about. So there's two things I want to do for us tonight. One, I want to show you the big picture of the Gospel of Mark. Second, how that big picture is going to help us understand the ending. So yeah, please pray for me as we do that. Father God, thank you so much for your word that we get to dig into it, that we can so easily have access to it and learn from it. And please help us tonight, help us to listen well, help me to speak truthfully and from your word. And please save people tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're going to dig into the book of Mark and see what God has to say to us. So grab your Bibles, be a bit of flicking tonight as we look through, crack open to Mark chapter 1, we're going right back to the beginning. And as you go in there, we aren't used to reading the Bible in big chunks like this. We normally read a few verses, maybe a whole chapter. And that's an awesome thing to do because the Bible is so rich and there's so much to get out of it. But sometimes that can make us big the big picture, miss the big picture that the narrative is trying to say, the main point of the text. So let's go all the way back to the beginning of Mark, see how this story unfolds. It's an incredible story, the best story ever told. Have a look at Mark chapter 1 verse 1 with me. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Right off the bat, Mark tells us this book centers on Jesus, particularly his identity as the Messiah and the Son of God. Mark doesn't have any recounting of Jesus' birth or childhood. The first time we see him is when he's an adult at his baptism. And after he comes up from the water, have a look there in verse 11. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. God confirms who Jesus is. It's incredible. His identity is the Son of God. And then Jesus starts his ministry. Have a look at verse 14 and 15 with me. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And with that, Mark has set the scene. He's introduced Jesus. He's established his identity. 
and stated what his purpose is. He spends the rest of the book unpacking these two things, his identity and purpose. Mark is masterful in the way that he writes. Almost every episode or section of the rest of this book serves to show one of those two things, one or both of those two things. Now, there's a pattern that you'll notice as you read through the book of Mark. Mark likes to describe what Jesus does and how people react to it. Action, reaction. Have a look at this slide. So over the last couple of weeks, I went through and underlined Jesus' actions in the book of Mark and the reactions to it. This isn't extensive. This is just, there's probably definitely ones that I missed and ones that aren't there. But you get this throughout the whole book of Bible. It's repeated in Mark. There's action that Jesus does and how people react to that action. So I'm going to show you this pattern in three key passages in Mark, chapter 1, 8, and 15. And that will help us understand the story of the book as well, and that will help us tackle what's going on at the ending in chapter 16. So let's do that. Let's have a look at chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. So if you go to Bibles, flip over to there for us. Verse 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So what does Jesus do there? He teaches. How do people react? They're amazed. With each repetition of this pattern, we learn more about who Jesus is throughout the next few chapters. Jesus teaches and performs signs and miracles as he's going, and the crowds react to him with amazement or fear or just don't know how to react. We keep getting hints about his identity As we see this, we see he has power over creation. When he calms the storm, he knows what other people are thinking. He has power over sickness and can even cast out demons. He's an incredibly powerful and wise man. Now, flick over to chapter 8 with us. Chapter 8 marks a turning point in the story of this book. It's really cool to see we see the declaration by Peter that Jesus is the Messiah. Remember, Messiah was one of the key words how Mark introduces gospel and the identity of Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And it looks like, finally, the disciples are starting to understand who Jesus is. And after this, Jesus then starts teaching them about what it actually means for him to be the Messiah, his purpose. Have a look at verse 31 and 32 with me. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus' purpose is to suffer and die, and after that to be raised to life. Now, here's where it becomes clear. The disciples are starting to get who Jesus is, aren't quite there yet. They don't quite fully understand what that means. Peter, the very one who proclaimed Jesus as the Messiah, the king, then rebukes him because that's not what he expected the Messiah to be. This is the king. Surely Jesus can't die, but he doesn't fully understand who Jesus is yet. It's a bit like when you're watching a movie that has a twist that takes you by surprise but you don't quite fully understand it until later on in the movie. A good example of this is the second Terminator movie. Now, I haven't actually seen it. I do want to, but 
but I remember this illustration from a talk years ago when I was a youth kid, so hopefully I get it right. There's two men sent into the past, one to protect John Connor, the main character, the second is sent to kill him. One of them disguises himself as a cop, while the other is the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, the bad guy from the first movie. They both find John Connor at the same time. Jordan's caught between the Terminator and this other guy. And just as the Terminator is, looks like he's about to shoot him, you get Arnold Schwarzenegger comes in and says, Get down. He drops and he ends up shooting the other guy who's actually the one who is sent to kill him. The Terminator, who's the bad guy in the first movie, is actually the good person in this movie. It's not till later on in the movie they actually understand why that happens because John Connor reprograms him and stuff like that. It's a bit confusing because of time stuff, but it, gets, it shows the point. That's what's happening here with Peter. He gets part of who Jesus is, but doesn't fully understand it yet. So what did we see Jesus do in this passage? He teaches about what it means to be the Messiah. How do people respond? Peter rebukes him. That's not what they were expecting. That's not what they expected. I forgot a nod in there, but that's okay. So we see the same teaching about his death repeated twice in chapter 9 and 10. Jesus is intense on them understanding his purpose. And again, Mark tells us that they respond with fear, and they still don't understand. The reason Jesus has to die was to save sinful humans like us. Check out chapter 10, verse 45. It's going to pop up on the screen. For even, this is Jesus speaking. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to die as a ransom for sinful humans, to die in our place. The only way we could be saved from the punishment we deserve for our sin. Okay, last bit we're going to check. Have a flick over to Mark chapter 15. Jesus has been arrested and sentenced to execution on the cross. His wrists firmly knocked into wood as well as his feet with huge nails. And he's just standing there, standing there, hanging there on the cross. Have a look at verse 37 and 39 to see what happens. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Things play out exactly as Jesus had predicted them. Jesus, the innocent, perfect man, dies a horrible and unjust death on the cross. It's obvious that this is no ordinary death. Some crazy stuff happens around it. The day went completely dark for three hours during Jesus' last hours on the cross. And as soon as he breathes his last, the huge curtain in the Jewish temple is torn in two from top to bottom. This is no ordinary death. The Roman centurion, who possibly was even involved in the beating and mocking of Jesus just before this, he's the one who sees who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Son of God. So what does Jesus do? He dies. How do people react? This man was the son of God. So we've had a look through what's happened in Mark up until now. We've seen Jesus' identity and purpose unpacked as we've had this bird's eye view of the book of Mark. How does the Jesus we read about here compare to the way that you have normally thought about Jesus? 
Do you see him as just an ordinary man, a teacher? Did you expect Jesus to come to judge the world? Or do you see the true Jesus that we see in the Bible? The Messiah King who came to suffer and die as a ransom in our place. Something to note as well, you don't need to be some crazy Bible scholar to find things like this in the Bible. What I just did was that just me with a pen and highlighter over a couple days, reading through the book, noticing things that are repeated. I encourage you guys, love digging into the Bible. Look through it, break it apart, search for repeated ideas or themes throughout a book. Read big chunks at a time to get the big picture. Read small chunks to understand the details of what's going on. Use pens, highlighters, underline things. Have fun with it. Do this at FAT. We've got an awesome opportunity in the next week where we're going to be away for a whole week of FAT, digging into the Word. But you're going to have half an hour in the morning where you get to read the Bible. Now, you could spend that time just faffing around doing nothing, or you could use that time, dig into the Bible, see what it has to say, ask questions of it, try to figure out what's going on. You'll find that you can uncover the depth and riches of Scripture just as much if you spend the time doing it. So now... We come back to chapter 16, the final passage in the book. How does all of what we've just talked about help us understand this ending? It's the third day since Jesus was crucified. You can feel an air of solemnness. His friends had all betrayed him and ran away when he was arrested. The women who had been his disciples and followers rose up in the morning on that first day of the week to go and anoint Jesus' body to keep it clean because it's a dead body now. So they set out for the tomb in the crisp early morning. As they're walking towards the tomb, they realize, hold on, there's a huge stone in the way. What are we going to do? We don't have the strength to be able to roll that stone away. How are they meant to roll it away? They didn't have that strength. But when they arrived at the tomb, they see the stone, which formerly blocked the tomb, has been rolled away. <laughs> Let's have a look at verse 5, see what happens from there on. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And that's how Mark ends his book. It's really weird. It seems, hold on, you've been building up to Jesus rising and then you're not going to actually tell us what happens after? It's really odd. What is going on here? What is Jesus trying to do? Well, let's use the same pattern we've done so far to have a look at here. What does Jesus do in this passage? says he's risen from the dead. How do the people respond? They flee terrified. It's such an abrupt ending. What is going on here? Now, you'd be right in pointing out that there is more writing in your Bible after verse 8. There's a section in verse 9 to 20, but you'll notice that if most of your Bibles, you'll notice that it's italicized and it has a footnote there. So let's have a look at that footnote. Some of the earliest manuscripts... Most, the most reliable manuscripts of the book of Mark don't have these verses included. Some, so which means that they likely weren't actually written by Mark himself, but by someone later who thought it needed a more cohesive ending. And I reckon you can tell it's written very differently 
And verse 9 feels very abrupt and like a weird transition from verse 8. Does it mean these things didn't happen? Nope. Most of the things that talked about there we can see happen in other passages, in the other Gospels. However, I don't think this ending that people have added in later helps to show us what Mark wants us to get out of this book. He wants us to respond. I think Mark finishes the way finishes his book the way he does intentionally. The whole time he's been depicting Jesus' actions and how people respond to it. We've seen it one last time here in chapter 16. I think he's now turning the tables on you. How are you going to respond to the Jesus we've seen in the book of Mark? You guys have seen the story of Jesus, how he proved who he is by his incredible words and works and miracles and teaching, how he already knew what was going to happen as he went to the cross. You guys have seen the reason why he came to die for sinful humans to ransom us. How are you going to respond to Jesus? Will you respond in fear? Will you ignore it? Or will you respond in trust? Now, imagine a gunman ran through those back doors right now. There's mass panic. Gunshots are ringing through the air. You've jumped down onto the ground to avoid being shot, but fell so hard that you got knocked out. The last thing you see before you lose consciousness is a lump falling down in front of you. Now, You come back to consciousness a few hours later. The gunman has been arrested, dealt with by the police. What you notice, that last thing you saw before you died, sorry, before you fell over and (laughs) knocked out, was your friend who loves and cares for you, who jumped in front of you to take the bullet heading towards you and died in your place. Could you ignore that and just walk off? That's exactly how a lot of us treat Jesus. We see what he's done and it's incredible and we just ignore it and walk off. You cannot ignore this decision. The stakes are far too great. Jesus shows us how crazy and huge his love for us is. That he would be willing to become a man. God becomes a man. Lives among us. Is rejected, mocked by humans. The very people he came to save to die an excruciating death and take the punishment that we deserve for what we've done wrong. The Bible says that there is no other way we can be saved but through what Jesus did on the cross. You can't just ignore something like that. How are you going to respond to Jesus? If you want to respond and put your trust in Jesus, talk to one of your leaders tonight. They can help you think about that more. That is a super exciting decision. We want to celebrate that with you. And if you're already a Christian, it can be easy to read this passage and just not realize the bigness of it, but it can be very easy to also criticize the women in this passage who just found out the greatest news ever, that their king was alive and had risen, and then they flee, they run away, they keep that to themselves. Now, we know from other books that they do end up telling the disciples, but their first reaction was to flee. How could they do that? They just found out the best thing ever, the best news ever. Why didn't they tell anyone about it? One last time, let me turn the table back on you, back on me, back on us. We know the only way our non-Christian friends and family can be saved is through Jesus. What are you going to do with that knowledge? 
Are you going to keep it to yourself and run away? Let me encourage you. This is the best news, the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's worth sharing. The most unloving thing to do would be to tell no one about it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word, for Jesus who came to die in our place. Lord, help us to not just ignore that, to just to not walk away, but to realize how big, how incredible that is, that we might respond to your love in trust and that you would continue to save more. Please save people and give us courage to continue telling people about Jesus, the one who came to save us. In Jesus' name, amen.